when, when you introduce yourself, what, what do you call yourself? And what do you ask people to call you? So if you meet me on the way into service, I'll say, hello, my name is Danny. And I'll say, hi, my parents uh, named me Daniel and then quickly got shortened to Danny. But I've been called all sorts of things uh, throughout my life, probably like you have. There, uh, there were some guys when I was in seminary, I was a bellhop at a high-end hotel um, so learning how to serve people, that was, that was good practice. And all the other guys working there who, who were not believers and were, were lost, um, they would call me Rev. Well, actually, there was, there was, there was another guy named Rev uh, or who was in seminary who had a job there first, and so they called him, I can't remember if they called him Little Rev, and they called me Big Rev, but they called me Rev. And then uh, my sister one year, she nicknamed me Christmas Dan because I wore a green sweater and I looked especially Christmassy, and so sometimes when I still talk to her, she'll say, Christmas Dan. My kids call me Daddy or Dad. Uh, my wife calls me Babe. None of you are allowed to call me that. Um, you have names people call you, uh, and there's also the, the names that are less fun to share that you all know, um, you all know as well as I do. Um, hurtful names, names that may stick with you. I'll never forget when I was in elementary school, there were two kids from my school who knew a kid who was on my baseball team. He wasn't at our school, but he was on my baseball team, and I never really talked to him, but he was kind of like a cool kid. I don't know, like, I, didn't, I never really had a relationship with him. We saw each other at practice, but, you know, I hardly knew him, and uh, they said, hey, we met this guy on your baseball team at, he, at his birthday party. I don't know how they knew him, but they got invited to his birthday party, and I said, oh, okay, yeah, he's pretty cool, just kind of in passing. And they said, oh, he said you're, like, really annoying. <laughs> And I'm like, I never even talked to the guy. So, um, you know, I, and it's just like, you know, I could tell you people who have said hurtful things and called me names. It's amazing how creative middle schoolers can be with Slavich as a last name or, you know, just, you've all been there too, right? People have called you names, good and bad and all sorts of things. Um, I, bet, I bet you've call, been called names, names that mean a lot to you and are special to you and names that have hurt you. Um, people who've called you something because they love you and people who've called you something because they don't like you or just being mean or malicious. What people call us is powerful, isn't it? It's powerful when people call us something. Um, it actually, it, it shapes us. It begins to shape the way we think about ourselves. It, it begins to become true sometimes. We begin to believe if people call us something, if it sticks or if it's consistent enough, we begin to believe this is true about us. If what people call us is powerful, how much more so what, what God calls us? Part of the point of being a Christian is to begin to understand what God calls us, what God says about us. This morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look at God's calling. Uh, we're going to look at what it means that God calls us and what it means what God calls us. So he calls us as an action, and then he calls us, and he, he names us. He puts, he puts a label on us. Um, the sermon is going to be based both on a single verse and on three whole chapters in the Bible. So um, we started last fall a series in the book of Ephesians called United, um, and, and we went through the first three chapters, and then we paused. 
and we had a Christmas series, and we had the Fixer Upper series, um, and, and now we're going to jump back into Ephesians, and we're going to jump in at the second half in Ephesians chapter 4 through chapter 6. Um, the book of Ephesians, if you don't remember, um, and you probably don't because I barely remember, and I'm the one who said it in the first place and learned it and taught it to you, and you've probably learned it from others as well, but the, the book of Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. Maybe you remember that. Uh, and it was written to this group of people um, who he had led to Christ. He had told them about Jesus and about the gospel and about uh, if they turn away from their sins and trust in Christ, they'll be saved and forgiven and given new life. And they believed that, and they'd heard that, and God had done a miracle in their hearts and cleansed them from their sin. And they had started a new thing called a church. They'd gathered these Christians together, and they'd decided, we're going we're gonna to get together regularly, and we're going to worship, and we're going to have communion, and we're going to hear the teaching of the Bible. And that's called a church. And they got together, and, and Paul stayed with them for three years. And longer than he stayed anywhere else in his ministry, he was with the Ephesians for three years. He loved them, and he invested in them. And then about five years later, he finds himself in prison in Rome under house arrest for preaching the gospel, and he's appealed to Caesar, the, the highest uh, authority in the land, based on his, uh, what, what is a wrongful imprisonment, but an imprisonment all the same. And, and he's writing this letter to this group of Christians that he loves, and he knows so well. Um, and it's toward the end of his life, and he's got time. He's been a man on the move. I don't know if you know anyone who's like a doer and just nonstop motion. They don't stop. They're not contemplative. They just go, and they do, and they act. Well, that's sort of like what Paul uh, has tended to be. He's a, he's a mover. He's a doer. He's been sh shaken up by Jesus and going out on mission for, for decades, and now he's got time. He's got nothing but time. He's stuck in this house in Rome. He's got nothing to do but tell the gospel to people who come to him and to write letters to, to other Christians that he knows. So what, what he's, he's writing this letter to, to these people that he loves, and, he, and he's, he's kind of summarizing his, his teaching in some ways. And, and what we, we see in the first three chapters is that he's writing all the things that are true because of the gospel and because of Jesus. And then in the, in the second half, in chapter 4, he's writing um, all the things that we are supposed to do then in light of what is true. Um, previously in Ephesians, uh, we saw in chapters 1 through 3 all of the beauty of the truth of the gospel. Now the problem is we don't remember things. We forget things. We forget sermons. I listen to sermons and think, oh, I didn't know I believed that. I, I listen to it and remember what I believe um, because I forgot that I had said that. Um, you probably don't remember um, the last TV show you watch. Now, I, now, the reason I know that is because in front of every TV show, they put a recap montage. I, the, the first one I remember is when I used to watch 24, you know, Kiefer Sutherland is Jack Bauer, and he's got the gravelly voice like previously on 24. You know, and it's got this cut scene of like, what has happened up to that point? Because even if it's only been a week, we forget. We forget what's already happened. We forget part of the story. And so this morning's sermon is going to be something like a recap montage of the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at the first verse of chapter 4, but then we're, but to really understand where we're going, we have to understand where we've been. To understand the rest of the story, we have to understand the first half of the story. Um, the, the book of, the, of Ephesians uh, starts 
with indicative, with truth, with doctrine, and then it moves into imperative, into command, into how we should live in light of that doctrine. Um, and w- what, what we see in Ephesians is that we need to know and understand and experience and trust what God has done for us before we can begin to try to obey what God has commanded us. Um, so before we get into the text, let's just pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you um, would just give us eyes to see by your spirit. You would give us ears to hear. That you would shape and fashion us in the likeness of Christ. Your word is powerful. The word that spoke creation into existence. The word that can say to the, the storm, stop, and it stops immediately. This is your word. Here. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak through the words that I have prepared based on your perfect word, that you would edit me as necessary if anything that I've planned to say is unneeded or unhelpful, that you would edit me out, that if there's anything that I haven't planned to say that I need to say, that your spirit would would lead me to say it, and that you would impress upon your people your word um, by your spirit. Spirit, we ask you to to have freedom to move and to work in our hearts through your word, through the word of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 4, 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. The first word in the sentence is, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? What's it there for? The word therefore is there for a reason. What's it it doing? Well, what the word therefore does is it connects one section to another section, like a hinge on a door. That it's sort of like a a clothing rack with hooks on it. That that what, what the word therefore indicates is that what is going to be said is based on what has already been said. It's the foundation for what is going to come next. So the word therefore shows that the rest of what Paul's going to say in chapters 4, 5, and 6, which is full of commands, do this, don't do that, do that, don't do this, is based upon what he's already said in chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 1 through 3 has one command. The only command in chapter 3 is in verse 11 of chapter 2. Remember that at one time you were alienated. There's not a single command in chapters 1 through 3. Not a single thing for you to have to do except for that, to remember, to bring to mind. Why is that? It's because the gospel is first about what God has done before it's about what we do. Therefore, in light of what God has done... This, walk worthy of your calling. Paul reminds them he's a prisoner in the Lord. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison for Jesus. He's a prisoner in the Lord, but but what we see is that whether he experiences captivity or freedom, wealth or poverty, community or solitude, Paul experiences everything in the Lord. He's in prisoner for Jesus, but he's also a prisoner in Jesus. That means nothing that happens to Paul 
is just happening to Paul. It is happening to him in light of who he is in Christ. If you're a Christian, this means that whatever happens to you happens in Christ. You are not separated from his love. You're not separated from his purpose. You're not separated from his promise. He is with you, but more than that, you are united to him. And everything that happens to you happens in Christ. In this verse, it's hard to see in the English translation, um, and I think our English translations are fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not someone who thinks like you have to know the original languages to understand the Bible. Um, But it's interesting. In this short verse, the word call appears three times. The Greek word is kaleo, K-A-E-L. Every time I type it in my computer, the Apple program wants to correct it to kale. Um, But it's not kale, it's kaleo. And you could see there how we get the word uh, could you can you put that up there, Tyler? Kaleo, we have Kaleo. We have a slide that says Kaleo. I know we do, but that's okay. Um, K A L E O is where we get the word call. Now it's actually three times he uses it. The first time is when he says urge or encourage. the The literal word is call along, pros Kaleo, call along with or alongside. So it's this idea of coming alongside of someone and wrapping your arm around him like a, like a, like a coach or a mentor to, to call alongside and say, hey, this is, this is what needs to happen. You know, I'm coaching both uh, kids uh, in basketball and co- come alongside and say, okay, this is what you need to do in this situation. It's, it's, it's a, a sideways partnership of, of encouragement. And he says, I'm going to urge you or to encourage you or to call you alongside for this reason, to walk worthy of the calling you've received. The CSB says calling you've received, but it's actually literally the calling of which you have been called. The calling of which you have been called. So so it's not just the calling, it's the calling with which you have been called. Now that might seem redundant, but it's not redundant, it's there for emphasis. Because what he's doing there is he's explaining that Christians live based on their calling and that their calling comes from God. That they don't call themselves, that their calling is not something they earn, something they work up, something they decide to have. It's something that God places upon them unilaterally. The word calling, we often think of, we think of someone who does what I do. They're like a professional Christian. They, they are like a minister or a pastor, and we think that's a calling. But you know the word a calling, the word calling is in the Bible 11 times, in the New Testament 11 times, and never once does it refer to a pastor, a minister, or a missionary. Every time it refers to you, to Christians who have been called by God to salvation. This is what calling is fundamentally about. It's about God calling people out of darkness, out of sin, out of death, into light, into life. It's always used for God summoning sinners to salvation. In the Old Testament, God called Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He says, Abram, go from your your family and go to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. In Isaiah, we see that God 
called Israel, and he called the, the Messiah to, to show uh, the, the love of God and the purposes of the gospel. I just want to read, these are not going to be on the screen, just, just maybe even close your eyes and let these wash over you from Isaiah chapter 40 uh, through 50. We're not going to read all of it, just a few selections. He says, you Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its furthest corners. I've said, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Now this is what the Lord says. Who created you, who formed you, Jacob, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will be not be scorched when you walk through the fire. And the flame will not burn you, for I am the Lord your God. Do not be afraid, for you will not be put to shame. Don't be humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. And you will no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. Indeed, your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of armies. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He, called, he is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you. Isaiah 54, 4 through 6. God summons sinners to salvation, to, to assurance that he loves them, that he purposes good for them. Jesus called his disciples and said he came not to call the righteous but sinners. He called Simon Peter. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at 20 things God calls you from Ephesians 1 through 3. We're going to go through these rapid fire, okay? God calls you a whole lot of things if you are a Christian. Ephesians 1 through 3, these are just 20 of them. Number one. He calls you blessed. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. God is not holding out on you. God is not waiting to bestow his blessing upon you. He has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He calls you chosen, chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love. He chose you. He, you, are, you are His because He wants you, not because He's stuck with you. He calls you adopted, chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. He calls you redeemed, chapter 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. He has purchased you. He has paid for you. He calls you forgiven, chapter 1, verse 7. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Sixth, He calls you drenched. Can't think of a better way to say this. He has lavished 
and richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Chapter 1, verse 8. He has poured out His grace and His blessing, His forgiveness upon you and soaked you with it. Not just a little bit, not just a trickle, but, but just absolutely submerged. Number seven, He calls you enlightened. He has made known to us, chapter 1, verse 9, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ. He calls you privileged, 111. In Him we have received an inheritance. He calls you sealed, chapter 1, verse 13. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you believed. Number 10, He calls you Spirit-filled. Chapter 1, verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Number 11, He calls you empowered. Chapter 1, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power He has given to you through the Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 4, He calls you resurrected. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ. The Bible teaches that apart from Christ, we are dead in sin, that everyone is literally the walking dead, spiritually speaking, that the world is full of zombies, and Jesus comes and brings them back to life. 13, he calls you graced. Ephesians 2, 5 through 8, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. It's a gift. He has lavished upon you and given you. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't buy it, but he has given it and graced you and gifted it to you. He calls you saved. You are saved by grace. You, you were stuck. You were hopeless. You were lost and he saved you. He calls you enthroned. Chapter two, verse six. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand of the Father as King over all things and He has enthroned us with Jesus. He calls you purposed. Chapter 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. He calls you included, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He calls you reconciled, chapter 2, verse 16, starting in verse 14. He is our peace who made both groups, that is Jew and Gentile, one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He reconciled you to himself and then he reconciled you to everyone else as a part of the body 
of Christ. There's a reason why every week we say that we come here from, from diverse backgrounds, people who are black and people who are brown and people who are white. We come here from diverse socioeconomic situations, people with multiple houses and people who are living in government-subsidized housing. We come here from different political persuasions, people that are as red as the red light and people who are as blue as the blue light, that we come together across different generations, people who have been alive a really long time and people who have been alive not nearly as long. We come together as a reconciled body because Jesus has reconciled us first to God and then to one another. He calls us inhabited or indwelt, chapter 3, verse 17. And Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he calls you beloved, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Throughout Ephesians 1 through 3, we get the why. Why does God call us? Chapter 1, verse 6, for the praise of His glory. Chapter 1, verse 12, for the praise of His glory. Chapter 1, verse 14, for the praise of His glory. It's for His glory, so that He will be seen as glorious and marvelous, So here's your call. Remember your name. Remember what God calls you. If you're a Christian, all of that is what is true of you. It's not true what someone may call you. It's not true what you call yourself. It is true if you are in Christ what God calls you. Um, For a long time, the dolphin fish was a poor seller at seafood restaurants. And that's because I had this experience too. I wasn't, I didn't grow up in Florida. And so I went, when we hadn't lived in Florida very long, we went to the whale's rib in Deerfield and we ordered a dolphin sandwich and I felt sick the whole time because all I could think of was I was eating flipper. And Laura told me after, oh no, that's like a totally different fish. That's not like I'm like, well, that kind of makes sense. I was like, I don't think it's legal to kill dolphins. And so dolphin fish is different than like flipper the dolphin, the mammal. And that's why most restaurants don't call it dolphin. They call it by the Hawaiian name, mahi-mahi. And when when they realized that several decades ago, sales shot up. Because people don't think of flipper, they just think of, oh, this sounds like a, a good meal to eat. Because a name matters. A name matters. Some of you may be believing lies about who you are or maybe who you used to be. Maybe at some point you were called cursed, but now God calls you blessed. Maybe at some point you were called rejected, but now God calls you chosen. At some point, maybe you were an orphan or maybe you were the least favorite or not the favorite child, but God calls you adopted. At some point, maybe you were called hopeless, or maybe you called yourself a lost cause, and God has said, no, you are redeemed. Maybe at some point you've been guilty, and the reality is we all are, but God calls you in Christ forgiven. Maybe at some point you've been ignorant, but now God calls you enlightened, shown the truth of the world. Maybe at some point you've been called poor, 
But God calls you privileged. Maybe at some point you've been called unwanted. But God calls you sealed with the Spirit. Maybe at some point you were called selfish. But God calls you Spirit-filled. Maybe at some point you were called weak. But God calls you powerful. Maybe at some point you were called dead. But God calls you alive. He calls you resurrected. Maybe at some point you were called lost, but God calls you saved. Maybe at some point you were called addicted, but God calls you enthroned. Maybe at some point you were called pointless or purposeless, but God calls you purposeful and on purpose and purposed. Maybe at some point you've been called excluded, but God calls you included. Maybe at some point you were called estranged, but God calls you reconciled. Maybe at some point you were called overlooked, but God calls you indwelt by His Spirit. Maybe at some point you've been called hated or ignored or disliked or unimportant, but God calls you beloved. I have some friends who were missionaries internationally in uh, Southeast Asia, and they adopted a little girl who had been born to a mom who was uh, known for prostitution and had a reputation that, that maybe she had been infected with HIV. And they adopted this little girl and they found out her name and they called her this name. They called her this name for weeks and months because they were told that was her name. But as they learned the language and as they learned her story, they realized that this was not actually her real name. It was a nickname the other kids had given her. And it was the language's word for HIV. And they found out and they immediately changed her name that described her as what she was. That is a chosen and beloved child. Maybe you're living in a place where you are believing lies about your name, about what you're called. And the reality is, the reason it's so tricky is because those things, one, used to be true, and secondly, in the flesh, are still true. But they're not what's most true. What's most true is what God calls you. What God calls you is what's most true. What God calls you is eternal. What you call you and what other people call you, that'll fade away. That will pass away, except insofar as it aligns with what God calls you, because what God calls you is forever. There's a beautiful verse in Revelation where he says he gives a white stone with a secret name that no one knows but the one who receives it. And God loves you and he calls you by name. And this is what he thinks of you if you are in Christ. So to respond to God's call, I think there's two ways. First is if you are a Christian, to step into the reality of what is already yours. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform for it. You don't have to live up to it. Now, we're going to talk for the next few weeks about the ways that God calls us to live into the name that he has given us, to walk worthy of the name he has given us. But that never means earn it. It only means live in light of it. It means show that it's become true in your life, that you don't have to earn it. You can only receive it and believe it. If you are in Christ, this is what is true of you, to believe it and to accept it, that this is your identity and this is your name. 
That doesn't mean there's no room for repentance. That doesn't mean that the consequences of past actions don't still reverberate. But what it does mean is that the eternal identity that you have is what God calls you. And you receive it and believe it and say, this is what is true of me. Because like Paul was a prisoner in the Lord, I am in Christ. On the other side, if you are not in Christ, if you are not a Christian, I just want you to think for a moment what the opposite of those names might be. Blessed or cursed, chosen or rejected, adopted or disowned, redeemed or forgotten, forgiven or punished, drenched or withheld, educated or ignored, privileged or impoverished, spirit-filled or selfish, empowered or powerless, resurrected or dead, graced or empty, saved or lost, enthroned or enslaved, purposed or aimless, included or excluded, reconciled or estranged, inhabited or passed by, beloved or hated. The gospel teaches that you can merely receive God's gift and he will change your name. The gospel is the true story of the world, that God created the world perfect. He created people in the world to know him and to walk with him. But that people turned away from him. We turned away from him. You turned away from him. By the things you said and the things you did, by the way you lived, by, the, the, by, by what you thought and by what you felt, by your actions, the things you should have done that you didn't do and the things that you did do that you shouldn't have done. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and God's standard and that the wages of sin is death. And because of that, our name, our name has been tarnished. Our name has been shattered. Cursed or rejected, punished or poor, hopeless, enslaved. This is who we are outside of Christ. But God, in his love and his mercy, said he didn't want that to be the final word. That didn't, he didn't want that to be the final answer. He said anyone who would turn from their sin and trust in Christ, who he sent to be the perfect sinless sacrifice, to live a perfect life, to die in the place of sinners because the wages of sin is death. And he took the payment for sin and he was crucified and nailed to two rough beams and hung out to die. And God poured out all of the wrath and all that was due to our sin on Jesus and anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ. He will cleanse and forgive.